0: Well, good evening, everyone. My name is Ryan Limbaugh, and I am the pastor of Redeemer Church, and I am thankful for everyone who is here, both member and regular visitor. And if this is your first time with us, we especially thank you for being here. And I just want you to know that I cannot see you, all right? Um, But that is not a terrible thing, because uh, I will not see anyone sleeping or giving me those looks like I might receive sometimes. So uh, I think we'll leave the lights as they are and have a good time for about the next 15 minutes. I want to tell you that the reason that we're doing this service is really threefold. The first reason that we're doing this service is to promote community. We believe that God has placed us here in this community for a very specific reason. Listen, listen, you and I live here. If, if you're a resident of Calhoun County, God has put us in Calhoun County. He has put us in Oxford. He has put us in friendship. And what we said, listen, we're, we're all neighbors with one another. We don't live in a vacuum, but rather God has intended for us to be in relationship with each other. And what we've said that during this Christmas time, we want to come together with our community and and be neighbors to one another. You know, Jesus said uh, in, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, a man actually asked him, he said, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes on to tell a story about uh, this man who was kind of uh, left for dead on the side of the road. And, and, and this guy comes along and helps him out and picks him up and carries him to an inn, and, and uh, gives him the medication that he needs and all of that. And, and, and the point that Jesus makes in that story is that your neighbor is anybody who is in your influence and your neighbor is anybody who needs you. And and that's what we want to be. We want to be a community of neighbors where we love one another and we care for one another and we don't live in our little vacuum. The second reason we wanted to do this service is to prepare for Christmas. I don't know if you're like me, but you can really get caught up in the trappings of the, the Christmas season that really is not about Christ. We, we, we got materialism and we have events and programs and gifts to buy and places to go. And all of a sudden you just, you've lost the whole meaning of what Christmas is about. And so what we wanted to do is on this Sunday night leading into the Christmas week to prepare our hearts for real worship. And then that's the third the third reason is we simply want to have a service to praise Jesus Christ. Psalm 150 says it best. Psalm 150 says praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens praise Him because of His excellent greatness, praise Him for His mighty deeds, praise Him with the loop, praise Him with the harp, praise Him with string instruments, praise Him with cymbals, praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And that's what we want to do tonight. And so would you bow your head with me and let's pray and ask God's blessing on His Word. God, We have entered in to amazing worship already tonight as we have reflected on the glory of your Son coming to earth. Thank you for these beautiful songs and these gospel-rich songs that have tilled up our hearts, cultivated within us a desire to know you, to love you, and to celebrate your love so we would simply ask right now, Father, that you would take your word and that you would pierce our hearts. Lord, we believe that your word is living and active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces down to the division of joint and marrow and soul and spirit, and it, and it, and it divides us such that you know the intentions of our hearts. And so would you take your word right now and would you do your work Your piercing, transforming, healing, powerful work in each of our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, tonight, I just want to give you one text. It's uh, one verse in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 19, (laughs) verse 10. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. We're going to put it up on the screen for you to be able to see. And it'll be up there here this whole time as, uh, as I give you this word. And it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Because it's so short, I'm going to say it again. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, at Redeemer Church, We are big on Scripture, and we are big on understanding Scripture, not only just what a little verse says, but also what it says in its context. We actually believe that a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text, which means it's hard to understand the Bible unless you understand in its context. And so we'll understand the context in just a few minutes, but I will tell you that this is Jesus speaking to a man Jesus says, entered a town, he's speaking to a man, and at the very end of his interaction, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so I want to ask you a question right now. I'm going to put our Bible study glasses on right now, and we want to ask the question, um, who is the subject of this sentence? Who is the subject? The Son of Man. The Son of Man. And so we have to ask the question well, well, who is the Son of Man? Well, Jesus is referring to himself here. All right? He calls himself the Son of Man. Interestingly, the Son of Man phrase, that title is used 84 times in the New Testament. And almost every single time, it is Jesus referring to himself. Now, it's so interesting because we think of all the various titles of Jesus. We think Son of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We think of one of the passages we've already read. um, Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. We think of all of these glorious and fitting titles for Jesus Christ. And yet the title that he uses most about himself is the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Well, Jesus actually borrows that title from the Old Testament book, Daniel. And in the book of Daniel... Daniel the prophet says that the Son of Man is going to be with all glory and all dominion and all power around the throne of God. And not only that, he's actually going to enter into humanity as judge. He is going to have divine authority and divine judgment to cast upon all of humanity. And Jesus takes that title about the Son of Man and uses it of himself. And so what Jesus is intending here to call himself Son of Man is really two things. He is saying, first of all, I have divine authority. I have divine authority. I am the judge which is spoken of in the book of Daniel. And so I will judge. I will judge the good from the bad. I will judge the evil from the holy. I will judge all of humanity because I have divine authority. The second thing, though, he is saying is he's saying, I am a man. I am the son of God. Of man. I'm not merely God with his authority, but I am entering into humanity as a man. He is essentially saying, I have a body like you have a body. I have a heart that beats like you have a heart that beats. I am tempted. I experience all of the difficulties and the challenges that a man does, and I want you to know that, and so I'm going to call myself the son of man so you know I identify with you on every level. That's why the writer of the Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who can sympathize with our weakness because he was tempted in all ways just as you and I are, yet without sin. And so the first question that we ask is, what is the subject of the sentence? And the answer is the Son of Man, the one who has divine authority and the one who is a man, one who is humanity. Nobody's ever been like this before. Nobody's been like this since. Now, the next question that we want to ask here, just looking at the verse, is what did the Son of Man do? What, What did he do? He came. He came. You know, it is the nature of God to come to people who are in need. You realize that God created the world... He created animals, and then he created mankind. He created Adam, and he created Eve, and Adam and Eve were in the image of God. They They not only beheld the glory of God, but they actually reflected the very image of God in the way that they were created. And he set them up in this glorious, beautiful, perfect garden, and he gave them a way to live. And Adam and Eve, because of the temptation of the serpent, said, we don't want to live the way God's called us to live. We don't want to walk in the blessing that God has called us. We want to be God ourselves. And they fell. They sinned. And it cast all of the world into a cursed state. And what God could have done, what he rightfully and justly could have done, is he could have said, I'm going to let humanity be what humanity is going to be. And I'm just going to turn my back because they have rebelled against my goodness and my grace in their life. But what did he do? He came. He came to Adam and Eve. He came to them and exercised mercy on them. And this is what he said. He said, I've got a plan for your life. Not only did he come to Adam and Eve, but but about 12 chapters later, or, or nine chapters later in the book of Genesis, there's this man named Abram and he's just going about what he does. He's in this family. He's an idolater. And God comes to, Mo, comes to Abram and he says, I've got a plan for your life. I want you to worship me and love me. And not only that, I've got a plan for your child and for your children's children such that the whole earth is going to be blessed through you. And then, and then later, God's people who came from Abraham ultimately are suffering under bondage and slavery in the country of Egypt. And they're struggling. And God looks down on them and he says, I'm not going to allow them to struggle under bondage anymore. I'm going to come to them. So he comes to Moses on the backside of nowhere around Mount Sinai. And he says, I want you to go and deliver my people because I am a savior. And so that's exactly what he does with the people of Israel. But you know, he also came to a man named David. David was a man after God's own heart. But David got caught up in sin, in lust, in immorality, in drunkenness of his own power. And he committed adultery. He committed murder. He he, he defrauded not only his family, but also the nation in which he served. And God rightfully and justfully could have left David in his state. But through the prophet Nathan... He comes, he comes to David. And and, and Nathan Nathan says, you are the man, you are guilty. And what does David do? David goes to his bedroom, falls down before God, repents and trusts in God. And God coming to him provides repentance, provides faith, provides turning in a different direction so that the trajectory of his life remained upward and heavenward in his life. And I want to just give you those examples because listen, Listen, the ultimate coming love of God himself is through Jesus Christ. 500 years later, the God-man comes to planet Earth. He says, he says Father, I, I will come. I, I will come, I will go, and I will take on human flesh. I will live as they are to live. I, am to lo- I will love as you want me to love them, and I will carry out the full plan. I will come to them. And so when Jesus says for the Son of Man came, we need to understand that He is a God who comes to people in need. So let's ask the next question. All right? Let's ask the next question. Um, why did the Son of Man come? Why did He come? To seek and to save. To seek and to save. I think it's worth noting that That Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, did not come merely to hang out with humanity. He didn't come to just be a friend. He didn't come to to merely just uh, be an example. And that's what we hear a lot today, that Jesus came to be an example. And there is no doubt that Jesus is a great example. Listen, He loved the unlovable. He cared for those who were in need. He extended mercy on people who needed mercy. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to those who could not hear. Speech to the mute. He made the lame to walk. He made the blind to see. He raised people from the dead. Listen, he is a great example of mercy and compassion and love. And we should look at his life and say, I want to live like that. That's what John said. John said, walk even as he walked. But in this verse, in this statement, he says, the son of man came not to be an example, not to be a friend merely, but to seek and to save. Now, Jesus is a seeking Savior. If you read the Gospels, you see that he sought out every one of the disciples. You read the Gospels, you see that he sought out even a demon-possessed man on the other side of a lake who nobody would go near, no one would talk to, no one would get in within shouting distance of, and Jesus does, and he changes his life. You read in John chapter 4 where Jesus goes into Samaria and is hanging out by this well, and this woman comes up who is a despised woman, who is a hated woman, who everyone looks their nose down at, and she comes up, and Jesus pursues, he seeks. He goes hard after her soul such that he ultimately saves her. Because Jesus is one who seeks, he pursues. And I want to tell you today that he pursued me. And I believe that if you are a Christian, he pursued you. And I would even say right now that if you're not a Christian, your life hasn't been transformed. I would say that Jesus, the Son of Man, is pursuing you right now because He comes after us hard. But He doesn't, He not only, he not only seeks, look at this, He saves. He saves. I love that. Um, the, the word here used for save, it means to rescue from death, to deliver over from one state into another state. Sometimes we think about salvation and we, these religious terms being saved and we think, oh, it's like getting a new lease on life. It's like we were down in a pit and, and, and then we get just put, put back up on level ground and God's gonna see how we do again now that he's given us a second try. That is not the meaning of what Jesus is saying here. He, he's saying, listen, listen, I have come to save, which means this, I have come to deliver you from the power of sin. Listen, sin is powerful. Because Adam and Eve fell in the garden, listen, every one of us, you and I, have all had the curse of sinfulness. We're all depraved. We we all have a sinful heart. Now, some of us uh, sin more than others and to a different degree than others. But I will tell you this, every one of us, as Jeremiah says, has a deceitful heart. It is so deceitful we can't even know our own hearts and so sin has power over us. Some of you right now are in situations in your life where you're thinking, I just can't, I can't get over this. I can't get beyond this. I can't, I can't stop lusting or I can't stop arguing with my spouse or I can't stop getting so angry with my children or I can't stop not obeying my parents. I just I can't. I've got no power over it. And one reason you may not have power over it is because the power of sin is still on you. Jesus came to deliver you from that. And not only that, he came to deliver you from the pollution of sin. Have have, have you ever just been living life and you just felt dirty? You just feel filthy. I mean, if it were possible, you just feel like you stink. Well, if you've had that experience, you're not alone. You're not unique. As a matter of fact, Paul in in the book of Romans says, All have sinned everyone. And we all have this pollution of sinfulness about us that we need to desperately be rescued from. And Jesus has said, I have come to save you not only from the power of sin that dominates you, but from the pollution of sin that comes from within you. You've got an ugly heart. You've got a nasty heart. You've got thoughts and ambitions and desires and idolatries that just pollute your very soul. And Jesus said, I've come to save that. And then he says, I've come to save you from the penalty of your sin listen sin has a penalty and the the son of man that title means that he's coming as judge and he will judge the earth and he will judge the world and he will divide those who are gods and those who are not gods and those who do not belong to God will go to hell one of the most powerful sentences anyone ever said to me is this People without Jesus go to hell. People without Jesus go to hell. And Jesus says, I have come to deliver you from that. We live in a society today which is very offended by Jesus, very offended that that there is one way, one truth. That they hate the verse John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. People hate that verse. And you know what? I would tell you, I love that verse. Why? Because we have a way, we have deliverance. God has not left us to ourselves. We have a way. And that's what the the whole part about being saved is. You're not just delivered from all that, the pollution and the power and the penalty of sin. But what Jesus says is I've come to save you to the power of my resurrection. You see, I, I not only live a life that you're supposed to live and don't, I died a death that you deserve, and you won't die that death because I died it for you. I was buried, and on the third day, I rose from the dead. And you know what I did? I did. I conquered death. I conquered sin. I conquered Satan. I conquered all of the evil forces so that you can have the very power that raised me from the dead. You can be delivered that way. And and then he says, not only that, I, I... I have saved you not only from the power of sin, but I'm saving you I'm saving you to. I'm saving you to the purity of my righteousness. And I want to tell you now, I th- there are no perfect people in this building. There's nobody who's walking the straight line where God looks down and says he is living a perfect life. But I will tell you, God promises us what the Bible would call sanctification holiness. He promises us that if we live in the power of Christ and his righteousness, he will deliver us to the very purity that Jesus himself walked in. That, that's a glorious thing. Like right now, if you are in your life and you're thinking, man, I'm so defeated. I, I, I say things I shouldn't say. I do things I shouldn't do. Even on my best day, I'm making a thousand mistakes. I would just say, join the club. But But I would tell you, I've been walking with the Lord for years, and it is amazing that if you walk in this powerful salvation that Jesus Christ came to grant you, you can kill sin. You can kill sin by the power of the Holy Spirit and the working of the Word of God. You can begin to look like Christ. And then Jesus says, I have come to deliver you to the promise of eternal life. You know, we are a pleasure-seeking people. Listen, this week is the epitome of of our pleasure-seeking. We're going to try to find as much pleasure as we can in clothes, in cars, in guns, in everything that we can possibly accumulate on ourselves and upon other people whom we love because we want to be pleased. We want to be satisfied. We want to enjoy stuff. But what Jesus would say is, Those things are fine and good and they're not evil innately or anything like that. But do you understand that there are pleasures forevermore at my Father's right hand? There are eternal pleasures. You don't know joy until you have come to the Father through me, Jesus would say, and and take in all of the peace, all of the grace, all of the generosity, all of the love, all of the blessings that are yours in me, Jesus would say. And so, Jesus would say, I've come not only to seek, but to save. And then the last thing, who has he come to seek and to save? The lost. The lost. The lost. Does anybody know who Jesus is actually speaking to in this verse? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. What, how, does, how, does that song, how does that song go? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he? He climbed up in a... <laughs> For the Lord, he wanted to... Yeah. Um, Zacchaeus was a guy who would fit in well in 21st century America. I will tell you, if Zacchaeus came to the service tonight, we would walk out into the parking lot and we would see that he drove the nicest car. He would have on the sharpest clothes. He would stand out because there would be an error about Zacchaeus because the scripture says that he was rich. But he had a problem. His problem was he was lost. He had accumulated everything that the world said he needed to accumulate in order to be happy. In order to have pleasure, in order to have esteem and to be honorable, he walked around and while many hated him, many despised him because of his profession, he decided to can up all that he could get because it was the only way that he knew in order to be happy. And so he, he climbs up in order to see this Jesus whom he's heard about and Jesus walking down the road in Jericho seeking Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus doesn't even know it. He looks up in the tree and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm eating at your house today. Zacchaeus was lost. He was just lost. And Jesus seeks him. And saves him on the spot. You know what Zacchaeus said? He said, i tell you what, Jesus. I, I'm going to give away half of all that I have to the poor. And then if I have um, treated anybody poorly, or if I have deceived them of any money, I'm going to pay them back fourfold. Do you know what that is? That is repentance right in front of your face. Yeah. And why did he repent? Because in Jesus, he saw the Son of Man has come to seek and to save his soul. I want to ask you tonight: Have you had a moment like Zacchaeus? Have you had a moment where you have crossed over from death to life, from darkness to light? Has there been a time in your life where you have given all to Jesus? I, uh, I once was in a ministry position where I had to recruit a lot of leaders. And I was calling these leaders on the phone. They'd, they'd listed, they'd, they'd uh, filled out this form and just gave their testimony and their lifestyle and all of this. But I had to weed through those. And so I would call on the phone these these potential candidates for this ministry position. And I called this man and he sounded awesome. I mean, he was in the military and I mean, everything. He had the best resume that you could possibly think of having. And, and this ministry position, looked like it might be for him. And I asked him this question. I said, how long have you been a Christian? And he said, my whole life. I said, your, your whole life? He said, yeah, there's, there's never been a time when I've not been a Christian. And in my mind, I'm thinking, he, he does not understand this verse. Because you see, there has to be a time when you and I cross over From the power of sin, the pollution of sin, and the penalty of sin. And we're delivered over to the power of Christ's resurrection, the purity of His righteousness, and the promise of eternal life with Him. And that comes through believing in Him, just like Zacchaeus did on that day in Jericho. Have you come to know Him? We're about to sing a song. And if you want to know Jesus Christ, the Son of Man who has come to save you and deliver you, then call out to Him cry out to Him where you are and ask Him to save your soul. Let's pray. God, as we sing this song, would you do two things? For every Christian who is in this building tonight, would you flood their hearts with joy? Would you flood their hearts with celebration? Would you give them a zeal and excitement for what you've done to them through the Son of Man, that they may be exuberant, that they may be excited about being sought after by the Son and saved by Him. And then if there is anyone who is lost, who is without Christ, would you seek them to the point of salvation? We ask in the Savior's name. Amen.